Again, I want to say thanks to everyone for uh, deciding to take part in our worship celebration, either on site or online. Really appreciate it. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. I was talking about the kids, but you know. Hey, Jesus invites everyone to his party and welcomes everyone who accept, accepts his invitation. Oh. Wow, I'm going to slow the brain down this morning. Slow the brain down because the mouth can't keep up. <laughs> okay, Jesus invites everyone to his party and welcomes everyone who accepts the invitation. There are no bouncers <laughs> at the door to uh, keep people out. Uh, the people following Jesus uh, often shock the uh, proper rule-keeping religious folks. Uh, at least they did when uh, he was walking the face of this planet. And I, well, in my observations over the years, still do. Um, in a culture that ignored women, Jesus commissioned Mary Magdalene as his very first resurrection man, messenger. She proves that Jesus authorizes the least anticipated to be among the most important messengers. By including the traitorous tax collector Matthew and his inner circle of disciples and apostles, Jesus displayed his mission and ours. He came to invite outsiders and not to indulge the insiders who thought that you ought to keep the outsiders out and take care of the insiders. Now, to keep things interesting and different, today I'm going to give you the sermon in a sentence right up front. Then we'll talk about uh, where it's coming from, from the message, uh, from the Bible's uh, text. That we'll be sharing. Uh, sermon in a sense for the day is frequently the most surprising faith comes from the most surprising people. Frequently, the most surprising faith comes from the most surprising people. Jesus' invitation and welcome extended beyond the fringes of the Jewish nation. It was shocking enough for the people who were were there. They were all, all Jewish people were God's people, except for, well, those people on the edges, because, well, they were kind of shady. That's the way the proper folks thought. And then, but Jesus says, well, I'm going to extend this invitation further. And those in like, unlikely converts probably left even Jesus' disciples scratching their heads in confusion. Like, what is he thinking? Here's an example from Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. 
Um, it's a story that I really like, and it's a story that maybe perhaps you are familiar with. Um, it's a story of a Roman centurion. The problem with stories that we're familiar with is that they kind of just go in one ear and out the other, and that's just going, mm -hmm. yep, I know that without anything really sticking and making us go, oh. So hopefully, as we uh, go through today, there'll be something that makes us stop and go, oh. Matthew chapter 8, starting verse 5, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Now to pause for a moment, you may know this, but I think we all need to be reminded. A Roman centurion was an officer in the enemy army that had invaded Israel and had conquered them and was occupying their nation. They were not free people. We as a nation don't really have anything to compare this to. <coughs> we were a colony once and we didn't like that, so we had the Revolutionary War. But being a colony of England was not the same thing as having an, an, another nation come in and take over and tell us what to do. It's just not the same thing. We cannot begin to imagine the feelings the disciples experienced as, as this man approached. And as a Roman officer, he probably did not go out in public without at least a few soldiers to protect him from assassination attempts. He was not a well-liked person. Uh, just for a moment, imagine it, this was in the 21st century right now in Ukraine. And he was a Russian army officer in occupied areas of Ukraine. And he came to a Ukrainian person asking for help. You better believe he'd have a squad of soldiers with him and everybody around would know he was the enemy and that if he didn't cooperate, it wouldn't go well. He might end even end up dead in a ditch. It would be scary. Talk about mixed emotions. Everywhere from, I'm going to kill this guy, to I hope he doesn't kill me. <laughs> we read it, and you say, oh, the Romans are during come up to Jesus, and I, I need help. My servant's paralyzed, and he's tough, suffering terribly, and it's like, oh, no big deal. It is a big deal. And Jesus says, to the Roman centurion, drop dead, you scum. 
How many of you are reading along? Some of you are reading along and you know that's not what he said. I just want to check. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, shall I come and heal him? Now, just for a moment, imagine what his disciples are thinking. They would have opted for uh, what I said the first time. <coughs> because they, you know, they, they've seen Jesus do some things, and surely if Jesus tells somebody to drop dead, it'll happen. Along with all the guys gardening. I mean, there were prophets that did that kind of stuff in the Old Testament. But Jesus says, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. The devotional writer Oswald Chambers wrote, genuine unworthiness is never shy before God any more than a child is shy before its mother. A child of God is conscious only of their entire dependence on God. The centurion is looking to Jesus and going, I don't deserve for you to come to my house. I just need help. Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but... Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, just going to pause for a moment. You have to be under authority to be in authority in this world. You have to be under authority to be in authority. The, the exercise of authority is a result of submission to a higher authority. Uh, the centurion's authority as a soldier came from his submission to the officers over him and ultimately to the emperor Caesar. If he were to begin issuing orders that contradicted his commanding officer or the commands of Caesar, he would be in rebellion and his orders would be useless, and he would be dead shortly. Roman army didn't put up with rebellion. You didn't obey. You weren't in submission to the authorities over you. Trial was short. So that raises a question. As this man looks at Jesus, he looks at a man and sees a man who's under authority. Whose authority did he see? Whose authority was, under whose authority was Jesus? It's not spelled out in this passage, but it begins to be spelled out in the rest of the book of Matthew. In fact, in the very next chapter, at the very beginning, Four men bring uh, some, or some men bring a paralyzed friend of theirs on a mat to Jesus, and 
He said, Jesus says to him, take, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And, and the teachers of the law, the, the real proper religious rule-keeping people, are uh, all excited. This guy is blaspheming, and Jesus knows their thoughts. And why do you, he says to them, why do you say entertains evil thoughts in your hearts, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk. Pause for a moment. Think about that. It's really easy to read it and not think about it, which is easier to say. It's a whole lot easier to say your sins are forgiven because if it's not true, nobody's going to know. I mean, even the poor guy laying there, if he complains and says, I don't feel forgiven, you're going, you can just say, well, you don't know what forgiveness feels like. Trust me, you're forgiven. Or you just blame him and say, we just don't have enough faith. But if you tell somebody who's paralyzed, get up and walk, and they don't get up and walk, <coughs> there's a problem. And then, Jesus goes on to say, but so, listen, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to on, on earth to forgive sins, so that you know I have the authority to say your sins are forgiven. He turns to the paralyzed man and says, get up, take your bed, and go home. And he did. And the crowd saw it, and they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority, the authority to forgive sins and to heal paralysis to men. Jesus gives a dramatic answer to the question, whose authority was he under? At the very end of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, Verses 18 to 20, he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So don't just sit there, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You must be under authority to be in authority. The exercise of authority is the result of being in submission to a higher authority. Now the only exception is God. Because God is the ultimate and unique source of authority. God is the supreme commander in chief. Jesus' authority flowed from his submission to God. So this centurion looks at Jesus and says, Just say the word, and my servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority. And when Jesus heard this, the story goes on in, in Matthew chapter. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, to his disciples, he turns and says to them, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel 
including you guys and gals, with such great faith. So what does he mean when he says there's such, there's such great faith? We have so many ideas about what faith is. The New Testament uh, professor and uh, bishop from England, N.T. Wright, points out there's nothing in the New Testament to suggest that faith is a general awareness uh, of a, a supernatural dimension in the world or a general trust in the goodness of some distant God out there somewhere by some slim chance that we hope is nice to us. Uh, it, it doesn't suggest that, that some people might arrive at, at faith because of Jesus or other people might arrive at faith uh, through some other route. Faith in the Bible, in Christian terms, means believing, exactly believing, that the living God, creator of heaven and earth, has entrusted his authority to Jesus himself, who is now exercising it for the salvation of the world. Faith believes, from the biblical standpoint, faith is believing that God has given his authority to Jesus and he's now, Jesus is now exercising it for the salvation of the world. That was the faith of the Roman author. <laughs> An enemy of God's people was more confident in God's authority at work in Jesus than any person in Israel, including the 12 apostles and the rest of the disciples who were following Jesus. Jesus looks at the, the followers and says, this guy gets it like nobody else in Israel. And he's the one you wanted me to tell drop dead. You should learn something from him. Now, let's go back to 21st century. In Europe, imagine a Ukrainian being told, this Russian officer gets it. You should learn something from him. What'd you say? What'd you tell me to do? I don't think so. Jesus said to the people following him, truly I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you, then, because he's not done, Jesus is going to make sure they get this. He says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. The ancestors of the entire people of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the ones that they look back to, these people that aren't your people are going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom. But 
the subjects of the kingdom, the ones who think they ought to be there and nobody else, will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Frequently, the most surprising faith is found in the most surprising people. And as Jesus so often did, he took a physical thing to underline the spiritual thing that he was already, he did that, I already told you about that with the paralyzed man, he did the physical healing Proved that he had the authority to forgive sins. Well, he's just now taught, he's going to, now he's about to do a physical healing to prove to his disciples that this guy really does have faith. This is what he does. He turns to the centurion, this enemy, this occupying army officer, <coughs> and says to him, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Jesus just said the word. And the servant was healed at that moment. That's from what I've understood. I've never been to boot camp, but I understand from people who have been, that's exactly the way it's supposed to be done. When the sergeant gives an order, it's not like, hey, when I get around to it. You know, drop and give me 20. Okay. After I finish my coffee. Not a good <laughs> idea. Right, Gordy? Not a good idea. No. Uh, not when I get around to it. Not when I feel like it. Now. The man in authority or the woman in authority gives an order. <coughs> I was talking to somebody recently who was a supervisor. who was kind of confused, so having struggles. And she had uh, told somebody that she was working with that she wanted this individual to do something multiple times. And he said, well, I'll think about it. I have this weird... I ask strange questions like, so how long are you going to put up with that? You're the boss. You say, I want you to do this. The answer is not, I'll think about it. <clears throat> the answer could be, help me understand. I'm not, I'm a little confused. Please let me know exactly how you want it done. I mean, help me clarify, but the answer is not, I'll think about it, because that's just a nice way of saying, no, stick it. I'm not doing that. So when Jesus issued the order, your servant's going to be healed, just let you believe it would be done, it was happened immediately, as it would. We can, we can, we can uh, come to three at least three conclusions from um, this story. First of all, Jesus is looking for a quality of faith that is at the same time humble and bold. He, he's looking for a kind of faith that is 
willing to submit to his authority, but is bold enough to say, you're in charge. Go get him. Number two, he doesn't care where he finds it. And number three, Jesus is a category crusher. He has little tolerance for our prejudgments on people. He, he, that's why we find frequently find surprising faith in surprising people because he crushes the categories. Well, Jesus, you, that person can't have faith. Why can't they? Well, you know, He's a Roman centurion. <coughs> I don't want to drop the, the uh, spoiler trickler here. Two weeks from today, I'm going to uh, talk about what I think is the ultimate unlikely convert in the New Testament. Not going to tell you who it is. Not today. Jesus is a category crusher. It's still true today. Sometimes the most amazing faith comes from the most surprising and amazing people, the people we least expect to have faith. And, and, and the opposite is also true. Sometimes the, the most disturbing lack of faith comes from those that we would expect to have it. Hear what Jesus said? I haven't found faith like this in Israel, in all of Israel. Nobody in all of Israel, including you guys, has this kind of faith. Frequently, the most surprising faith comes from the most surprising people. We have tended. I don't, I don't know if it's just our part of the world, if it's just our society, if it's just North America, it's just Protestants, I don't know. Uh, but we tend to think faith is believing there's a God out there somewhere. If you ask Americans, do you believe in God? Like 90-some percent believe there's some kind of supreme being out there somewhere. We even put it on our money. In God we trust. The really honest ones will tell you that God Almighty is the Almighty Dollar. Those are the, those are the honest ones. Uh, the rest of us like to believe it's the God we believe in. And then we run into people that think it's the God they believe in, and then we get confused. Uh, there are others that feel like faith is in, uh, a, a, accepting a set of theological <laughs> statements, whether it's the Islamic statements or Christian statements, or some people think of faith as having said a prayer sometime, somewhere, uh, and having gone through a baptismal ritual or joining the church. But the centurion shows us that faith believes that the one true God gave his authority to Jesus, and that right here and right now, Jesus is using God's power and authority to restore this broken, dying world because he is with us and he is for us. The Apostle Paul 
declared that kind of confidence in his letter to the first century church in the city of Rome, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. These are familiar words for a lot of people, but let me read them to you. Act like you've never heard them before. What then can we say about all these things? If God is for us, who is against us? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also, along with his son, grant us everything? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more, he's been raised. And he is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. will have the power to separate us from the love of God. So I want you to think about these questions with me. There's just two of them. So I want you to think about, I'm going to pause between them because, and I know, I'm not going to pause for nearly as long as it feels like I'm pausing. North America, Americans hate silence. So, but you're gonna you're gonna survive. Trust me. And the good news is it's not gonna be completely silent. Think about this question. How might your outlook on life change if you were absolutely convinced that Jesus was for you? How might your outlook on life change if you were absolutely convinced that Jesus was for you?
Here's the second question. How do you think you would respond to the events in your life if you were sure that Jesus planned to influence all of them for your benefit? <clears throat> How do you think you would respond to the events in your life if you were sure that Jesus planned to influence all of them for your benefit. Jesus right here right now increase our confidence in your power love and wisdom there is nothing in all creation and beyond that is more powerful than your word just say the word and our storms are calmed just say the word and people are healed just say the word, and people are set free to live for you. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be people with surprising faith. Open our eyes not to see the world more clearly, but to see Jesus more. Open our eyes to see him working around us and in us and through us. Nurture our confidence in Jesus alone. Until we can move mountains in his name. Lord, increase our faith. Make it so for God's honor and glory. Amen. Once again, I want to say thank you for connecting with us today, whether it was online or on site in person. Appreciate you being here. Your mission is clear, folks. Disrupt poverty, injustice, and oppression. Release the captives of sin, shame, <clears throat> guilt, and addiction. Proclaim the good news of the Lord's favor. That's why Jesus came. That's why he's sending us. And So now, you are sent. Go with Jesus. Change the world. Amen. Amen.